You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you're a 415 You're all about your San Francisco 49ers. And this is where you need to be for news, analysis, and, and, and more. And more. Welcome to the 415 Hosted by Evan Gidding and Mark Grandy. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back into another episode of the 415ers podcast coming at you three times a week on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network, along with 95.7 The Game. Evan Giddings, Mark Grandy with us as always. Mark, my man, how are you doing? It is, it, it, it's not the night before Christmas. I know, it, you know it's a regular <laughs> season game, but it feels just like it's a big game on Sunday for the 49ers with Miami Dolphins coming into town. It's a huge game. I mean, you can make a case this is uh, the most important game of the year for the 49ers, and we'll get into it. Um, it's, besides the Chiefs, the team's biggest challenge of the year, I think certainly without a doubt. Um, probably the the most they're going to be challenged the rest of the season as well. Uh, it's, it's not the most difficult schedule moving forward for San Francisco either, so maybe a last chance to really kind of measure yourself against an elite team in the league. And it's an important game as well. If you still have, you know, sights on a number two seed in the NFC, which are still within grasp, you're only two games behind the Vikings right now, then this is a really important game. Sure, it's an AFC opponent. It's not really going to factor into any tiebreaker scenarios or anything like that. But still, it's it's a huge game. And I think uh, considering everything we talked about last episode, Evan, with, uh, you know, kind of the hurt feelings going into it, it seems like all the former 49ers who are now Dolphins. Um, I think for multiple reasons, this is a big game that both teams have been looking forward to. And then as a result, us and and all other football fans are looking forward to it as well. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think you touched on a couple of important things there. One, of course, which we'll get to uh, the fact, like how it plays into the whole playoff picture but first and foremost, like I, I'm with you, I, I've been looking forward to this game for quite some time, not just because of, you know, sort of the, the personal relationships involved, but because it's the 49ers, I think, best chance to get a look at what they may see in the playoffs. And that is a team that can first and foremost put up points, a team that secondly has been tested, maybe more so than you have throughout this year. And three also has some sort of familiarity with you. You can't say that about many, if any, of the opponents outside of perhaps the Rams and your division than the guys on the rest of your on, on rest of your schedule. So for me, I'm with you. This is a this is a huge game for the 49ers. And right now the Dolphins are eight and three. They have a five game winning streak coming in. I believe they've technically only lost one game without their starting quarterback to a Tunga Bailoa. Meanwhile, the 49ers, of course, had a much different sort of rocky start to their season than the Dolphins, but they are seven and four. They have four games that they have won consecutively coming in, 
And to begin December, this is an opportunity for, look, I, I, I know that a loss, which is obviously possible against a good team of Miami, is not the end-all be-all. But I do think that a lot of both fans and critics are looking for like that that signature win. I mean, maybe we thought it was going to be a little bit against the Chargers on Sunday night, but of course the Chargers were missing a lot of starters, particularly on offense. Like this to me is maybe the first time where you have a team in Miami that is about as healthy as one could be and about playing as good a football as they could play, as well as the 49ers who we're going to get into some of the injuries that they've sustained from last week and, and may or may not you know, be keeping an eye on heading into the game, but they are playing their best football of the year. So you got two powerhouses going head to head. I'm a little bit surprised this game was not necessarily flexed to a Sunday night matchup because it, it has that feel. Uh, but, you know, Cowboys, it, America's team, whatever you want to call it. Uh, <laughs> but, but Mark, it, it has all the makings of a heavyweight title fight. It really does. And uh, I think to your point about a signature win, that's not something that that probably the 49ers care about all that much. I mean, they are only responsible and, in, in, you know, in charge of beating whoever is on their schedule. And recently they've done a good job of that. They've won four in a row. Miami's won five in a row. You know, if you were to kind of take a snapshot of the season up to this point, Niners at seven and four, they've won four in a row, two wins over the Rams, went over the Chargers, and you look at that, kind of this resume to this point, at the beginning of the season, and no one is having that conversation of who have the Niners beat. Because now you look back on it, and it's okay, you've beaten the three-win pitiful Rams. I think that's a little bit of revisionist history, because when the Niners beat them, they weren't nearly as injured and beaten up as they are now. Specifically the first time, yeah. Yeah, specifically that first matchup, but still, certainly... Even then, I mean, we, we said it, I think, after that week three game or uh, week four game, uh, this Rams team is terrible, and I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. And that has been one of our, you know, takes that that has come true, it <laughs> looks like it's going to this yeah. year. Um, so certainly, this this is a team where you can, you know, from the outside in, again, I don't think the team really cares about it that much. But, uh, you know, elsewhere, you know, media folks, people trying to, you know, figure out if this is a real team that has a chance to win some playoff games, that's the big, you know, sticking point as well. Who have they beaten up to this point of the season? And, you know, they got blown out at home by the Chiefs. Um, and and now they have a chance to kind of get that monkey off their back, beat a really good team, beat a high-powered offense. And Miami certainly qualifies for that. You mentioned they haven't lost with Tua Tagovailoa as their starting quarterback or, or one loss. And really that one loss was the game in which he went out that Thursday night game in Cincinnati where the Bengals caught a ton of flack for letting Tua even play in that game. Because remember, the week prior, week three at home against Buffalo, their best win of the season was when Tua originally got hurt, had that head injury. He came back late in that game and helped them win. And then he starts against Cincinnati, kind of gets swung to the, the turf and hits his head and his you know concussion symptoms flare up again. And then the rest is history. He missed the next two games. They lose to the Jets. They lose to Minnesota. But again, both with backup or even third-string quarterbacks playing. I think it was Teddy Bridgewater originally in the Jets game. He then gets hurt. And then they bring in Skylar Thompson, I believe, who most people probably haven't heard of. Why would you? He's a third-string quarterback in the NFL. Those are the only games they've lost. So this is certainly a, a really, really quality team. 
Mike McDaniel has, you know, kind of, you know, been the, you know, the head coaching darling of the league so far this year because of, of what he's done. He's done a fantastic, fantastic job, but it's also very obvious. They have a ton of talent on the offensive side of the ball. And it's just going to be so incredibly fun to see two great minds, Mike McDaniel and Shanahan, obviously, but Mike McDaniel specifically against D'Amico Ryans, who we've been singing the praises of all year long. That matchup, just the, the chess match between those two guys is going to be really intriguing. Yeah, there's a lot of parallels. And hey, look, you mentioned it earlier this season, but D'Amico Ryans could be headed for a Mike McDaniel type path in the future. He's which gone. is, he is a head gone. coaching job. Uh, that that is TBD would not <laughs> be surprised, however, especially with the way this defense is playing. But this is also a defense now that has to go up against the second best aerial attack in football statistically, but maybe most notably, Mark, a team that's put up 30 points in the last four games that they've played. Like they have scored against no matter who's been in front of them. Last week may not be as impressive for those who saw their, like they went up 30 at the half against Houston and pretty much just coasted to a win, but they have put up points against good defenses throughout this season. I'm glad you also mentioned Mike McDaniel because this is is kind of, I, I think a storyline that that people have forced more so on the Dolphins than the Niners, which is, okay, if this is a more important game for Kyle Shanahan or Mike McDaniel, you probably are saying Mike McDaniel just because he's the first-year head coach, even though I think he's on a trajectory to win at this point head coach of the year uh, with the way that he is really just flip this team from last year to this. And especially with all the off the field things that have surrounded Miami, the top two options might be Shanahan coaching tree guys, Robert Sala with the jets. Uh, maybe you can make a case for Brian Dable as well. And then Mike McDaniel in Miami. Yeah, no, absolutely. But, but the reason why I do think this is a bigger game for the 49ers and we've touched on it a bit is because I, it feels to me, Mark, like the 49ers have been a bit untested to this point. And that is also a credit to them because especially in the last month, month and a half, they've taken care of business against whoever's been in front of them, but they haven't had a win that you can look at and say that projects to them going and playing in the first or second week of February. Like they have, they, they have, I think a bit of, of doubt surrounding them, not their defense, but can their offense maintain a pace with a team like Miami that, as we just said, has scored 30 points against their last four opponents. Can their offense keep up when their defense does not pitch a second-half shutout? That's not going to happen every single week. That's, to me, why this game is as much important for Shanahan and the 49ers and maybe more so than the Miami Dolphins. Because although Mike McDaniel is in his first year, the Dolphins are newly formed. They have a lot to prove and have done it so far with an 8-3 and three record. The 49ers, to me, they are the more veteran group. They have been here before and have gone deep in the playoffs before. But this season, to me, in this matchup, they have more to prove because they are more untested than Miami. Yeah. I agree with you. I think it's going to make it make for a really, really intriguing matchup. And um, I think we're going to see because it this game means a lot for the 49ers, as you just laid out. It, it certainly, of course, means a lot for the Dolphins as well. I mean, they're still a team that could potentially get the first seed in the AFC chasing the Kansas City Chiefs right now. 
the Bills with a few losses, uh, you know, they're down the pecking order just a little bit, but that's still open, kind of a three-horse race. The Bengals might have something to say about that, but probably too many early season struggles to be in that conversation. Um, but I think what makes this matchup super interesting is how the Miami offense likes to attack. And we've talked a lot, and you know, if you're a football fan, you've heard a lot about Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. And you might think specifically with Tyreek Hill, okay, he's the deep threat. He takes the top off the defense. He's going to get you, you know, a 40 yards in the air, and then he'll run with the with the pass after that. In reality, that's not, you know, the the strong point of the Dolphins offense. Where they get their yards is by using their speed, Tyreek Hill included, of course, to make the defensive backs and linebackers respect that. They, it opens up so much space in the middle of the field. And if you look at some of the numbers, and this is from Next Gen Stats on Twitter, breaking it down, to attack of Iloa, 38 completions targeting the intermediate middle third of the field. So that's basically between the hash marks, a little bit outside the hash marks on either side, and, you know, 10 or 15 yards down the field. So not deep down the field, not just across the line of scrimmage, but that intermediate middle third of the field. That's 16 more completions than any other quarterback in the NFL. Again, Tua, 38 completions targeting that middle intermediate third of the field. You look at the Niners defensively on the flip side. Guess what? They take away that same part of the field, the intermediate middle third, better than any other team in the NFL. In fact, again, from Next Gen Stats, since drafting Fred Warner in 2018, the Niners have allowed just 71 completions in that area, that intermediate middle part of the field beyond the line of scrimmage. 15 fewer completions than any other defense in the NFL from that point. So not only do you just have the strength of a great offense against a good de a great defense, but you have what that offense wants to do, targeting that middle third of the field against a defense that takes that away better than any other defense in the NFL. And I, for one, am I absolutely cannot wait to see how these teams adjust to try to make that work because you know that's the bread and butter for both the, the Miami offense and the San Francisco defense. Something has got to give in that battle because, of course, both can't have success in that area. I'm with you, Mark. And I, for one, don't think it's also a coincidence that since Fred Warner was drafted and has manned the middle, that that yep. stat has been relevant. Uh, he is he is unbelievable. And, and we, of course, highlighted him a lot in the New Orleans Saints game with everything he did and all uh, of his production against New Orleans. I do think that, look, I, I, I've honestly been surprised, not just how good Tyreek Hill has been away from Kansas City, but how they also in Kansas City haven't necessarily skipped the beat without him. It's probably been one of the few times where you haven't seen like a, a, a fall off or a correlation between a star leaving a place and, and neither side's really been hurt by it. Yeah. And Miami's definitely benefited from it, Mark. Yeah, they certainly have. I mean, Jalen Waddle was good last year, but they didn't quite have the offense that they have this year. And a lot of that is because of uh, of Tyree Kill and in his addition. You also have to, of course, credit uh, Mike McDaniel and, and what he's been able to do. But you bringing up Tyree Kill and Kansas City got me thinking. You remember when he said, I, I don't remember if it was preseason or if it was early in the season. He was asked, you know, on your new team, what's it like being with Tua? And he said, 
straight up, you know, like name checking Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, Tua is more accurate than Patrick Mahomes. And, you know, that comment kind of, you know, makes you think about what Raheem Mostert did he, said. Yeah, did, did he say it's nice to be <laughs> with a quarterback that can sling it finally? <laughs> but like Raheem Mostert never, you know, in that quote, didn't name check Jimmy Garoppolo, didn't say, yeah, Tua he better slinger with the football than Jimmy Garoppolo. Meanwhile, Tyree kill straight up says, yeah, Tua more accurate than Patrick Mahomes. And I'm sure it was a gigantic deal, you know, in Kansas city and Kansas city sports talk radio and all the affiliated podcasts and all that. Uh, but that's Tyree kill, not necessarily dissing, but yeah, dissing one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Raheem Mostert, says something that might be about Jimmy Garoppolo, but he never actually says his name and everyone loses their minds. It's just, it's just kind of funny. Yeah. I think Tyreek Hill also did that interview like shirtless in a locker room with <laughs> hockey goggles on and people weren't really sure whether to take him seriously yeah, or not. Point. No, the Miami Dolphins have been the, the subliminal shooters of, of the NFL to this point this year. And I also think that it starts with their head coach and Mike McDaniels. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I uh, want to remind everyone to download, rate, and subscribe to the 415ers podcast. As always, we appreciate any rating, uh, subscription. Five stars are appreciated. Any comment, review. Uh, we'd love to know how we can improve the podcast throughout this year and our first season uh, with the 49ers. But, Mark, speaking of Mike McDaniel, and I, and I was no by any means trying to insinuate that he also kind of throws shots at other other teams. <laughs> he has not this year, although I do re- I do really respect the way he has like he he just knows how to work a room and and he maybe really even does. better than than Kyle Shanahan at this oh, point. He's 100%. just more built for it. He has such a unique I don't know presence and his his sense of humor is it's it's hard to describe if you haven't you know, watched a Mike McDaniel press conference, I suggest getting on YouTube and watching because it is unlike any other NFL head coach. I mean, there were times last year, you know, coordinators for NFL teams, at least for the 49ers, they talk once a week. Um, And Mike McDaniel, every once, once a week, would hop up to the podium for the 49ers and it would just be kind of this off the beaten path. You have this guy that's, what, five foot nine, skinny, didn't Allegedly. play... <laughs> Didn't play, you know, NFL football, went to Yale. He's known as like, you know, the smart guy, for lack of a better term, that the nerd on the coaching staff. And he just has a, a really unique personality in front of reporters. And I think a lot of people, a lot of Niner fans that were aware of it kind of like made fun of it last year because they didn't really know exactly who Mike McDaniel was. But now that he's a head coach and that he's having success in Miami, 
everyone has kind of embraced it. And, you know, they love the the quirky Mike McDaniel, but it, it certainly comes through. Um, it comes through every time he, he takes the podium. And now you're seeing all these like mic'd up moments on the sideline where he's telling Tua Tagovailoa, yeah, George is the much better team than much better than Alabama in the SEC, by far the best team in the SEC. There was another one that from this past week when, when their offense was rolling, passing the ball. I think they got up to like a 30-point lead over the Texans in the first half. And he just says to no one in particular as he's walking down the sideline, you know what? I think I'm just going to continue to throw the ball on this drive. Tell me if I'm crazy. It's just like weird quips, moments like that for Mike McDaniel that make him stand out because there aren't many other head coaches that that have those kinds of moments. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because honestly, my favorite one was a few weeks ago against the Chicago Bears when he's <laughs> oh, talking yeah. to the other team. Like Justin <laughs> Fields is, is running up and down on his defense and is is putting his team in a position to win a football game. And he's looking at Justin Fields who runs at the sideline, going back to the huddle. He says, Hey, stop doing that. Like <laughs> stop killing us right now. Yeah. So he, he's, he clearly has a, not, not only the confidence in himself to, to be okay with saying those things, but a comfortability in the heat of battle, as well yeah. as outside at the podium where he is okay with talking to the opposing quarterback He's he's okay talking to opposing media, and he's okay talking to his own team, obviously. Yeah, and there was a moment after that moment uh, in in that Bears game where he he told Justin Fields, pleading with him to, like, please stop running all over us. It was a really close Miami win, and I think, you know, the reporters saw that clip floating around Twitter, and they asked Mike McDaniel about it post-game, and uh, I'm sure I'm not getting the quote exactly right, but he said something along the lines of, yeah, I told him to stop because he's killing us. And then he kind of paused for a little bit, maybe chuckled. There were some laughs in the audience. And then he said, yeah, but like he didn't listen to me. Like he just kept going or, <laughs> or something something along those lines. But yeah, I agree with you. Mike McDaniel, he, he's easy to root for. Yeah, he's he's easy to root for. It is It will be interesting uh, to see how some of these comments and, and approaches to yeah. interaction work if you're not in a winning position. I do think that plays into a, I mean, that's the reason why, honestly, you don't see a lot of head coaches act the way he does. One, because they're not winning. Two, uh, they know how some of these comments get perceived and misconstrued if you then don't continue to win. So we'll certainly keep an eye on that. But Mike McDaniels is a big part of the Dolphins' success, um, maybe a big part of uh, what, what happens on Sunday, obviously. But Kyle Shanahan also... he. He has his moments, Mark. He has his moments when he he sort of you know goes back and forth with the media, and and we we're talking about this before we started recording. But you know, I I go back and forth on Shanahan, and especially with his comments. Sometimes he he seems a bit condescending. Sometimes he seems a bit demeaning, quite frankly, to, to some people. But there's also sometimes when he he is he is enlightening. Like when you get to see the reason why people put him in this pedestal of boy genius or you know smarter than thou like and and it happened a little bit this week when he was breaking down the differences between being a coordinator and being a head coach and and I I'm sorry I don't have the question in front of me but but basically he was sort of saying look as a coordinator you you get to look at things from a prism. You you look at things from one side of the football, which is I got to score points and I got to get them fast and I got to get them now. Where you're not even looking at what's what the defense is even doing. 
And of course, as a head coach, you can't approach the game like that. So now he's he's maturing and has gone through this over the last five and a half, six years as a head coach to the point where now he's able to reflect back on what he used to do as a coordinator on the offensive side of the ball and what he does now as still the play caller, but as a head coach that has to be responsible for the entirety of the team. I thought it was very interesting. I, I agree. Yeah. The question was, how much does having an elite defense change the way that you look at offensive play calling? And then he went through the whole thing you laid out, how when you're uh, an offensive coordinator, you're solely focused on your offense and you're not even looking at how your defense is performing. But he said, as as you learn to become a head coach, uh, you know, you you have to keep an eye on that. And then he said, you know, for example, I look at sometimes, quote, like that Chargers game earlier uh, when, you know, you have a chance to go. But you also know in the back of your mind, there's no way we're beating us if we get those 40 runs. That's how I feel the way our defense is playing. There comes a time in that New Orleans game last week where you can see your defense. And, yeah, we missed a couple there in the red zone where it's like, all right, if they score here, it's 13-7. to I know exactly what we're doing. We're going out. We get points. We have to win this. We can't give the ball back to them because it's a one-possession game. But then the defense holds them again, and you look at the clock, and you think about where your team's at, and you're like, okay, what's the best way to win this game? And in that moment when you're up two scores late in the game with your defense balling out like they are, you do not need to you know, go into that mode where you're like, all right, we got to score here. You just need to kill some clock. And even if you don't waste all of the clock, you're confident that your defense isn't going to give up two scores uh, you know, to close out the game. So while maybe that's relatively simple and straightforward. I think, Evan, it's relatively rare to to hear Kyle Shanahan kind of give up his his inner inner monologue like that. That's clearly what he's thinking every game and, um, you know, all the time, whether he's a coordinator or a head coach, he's thinking about things like that. But you don't hear him say things like that openly to the media all that often. So I'm not sure it it signals anything. I don't think it's deeper than that. He would probably was just, you know, feeling particularly in, in a good mood when, when he said this, I believe it was on Wednesday. Yeah. Wednesday earlier this week, he was able to kind of break down his mindset. And while there will still be Niner fans, I think who are maybe frustrated that the team only put up 13 points. And I mean, he openly admitted to it saying we missed some in the red zone against the saints that we, that we need to be better on. But he also said the way the defense is playing I'm not going to, you know, call plays as if we need a score here because we don't. I'm going to call plays to kill some clock. And the worst case is we don't get a first down. We give the ball back to our defense. And I know our defense isn't going to give up points. Um, and it's something that he didn't do at, at the beginning of his of his head coaching tenure with the 49ers. So I thought it was an interesting kind of look behind the curtain into the mind of Kyle Shanahan and all the decisions that go into every play call and specifically play calls towards the end of games. Yeah. Maybe he was channeling some of his inner Mike McDaniel. Maybe, maybe, or maybe, or maybe that's where Mike McDaniel has actually oh. been able to channel some of his Shanahan, but Kyle's just a little more of a recluse, uh, at least publicly than, than Mike McDaniel. I don't know. Something to keep an eye on. Uh, but, but also, I also wonder too, I, I do think some, and, and, I want to know what you think about this. I do think some fans might hear that as, well, if if on offense, if, if you're you know siloed in on, on one side of the ball and your job is to score points and run it up, and, and he certainly did that as a coordinator. He wouldn't be a head coach if he didn't. 
Well, then how come now, as the 49ers head coach, your your goal still isn't to just put up as many points as possible and, and just run up the scoreboard the way that, you know, we, we saw maybe in Atlanta or, or I know he was Cleveland, Houston before Washington. Like, how, how come how come, Kyle, we're not seeing the, the results that that you seem to be promising as an offensive coordinator? But now as a head coach, sometimes you need to you need to know when to, to pull on and off the reins. That's that's the natural follow up. I agree. Um, I think the answer probably lies somewhere in the uh, one, like we already talked about, he in these situations doesn't feel like he has to to win games. And ultimately, it doesn't matter how you win games, just that you win games. So he's not going to take unnecessary risk to you know try to score points in a game in which maybe he doesn't need those points. And I think we can all agree you know, the offense that is trying hard to go out there and score seven points, that is throwing the ball more often, that is taking chances downfield. Again, inherently, that means more risk and more likely to turn over the ball. So I think that's part of it. The other part, which which goes hand in hand with that, is probably uh, trust in your quarterback. And while we've certainly talked a lot this year, specifically in the last month or so, that Jimmy Garoppolo is playing better and I think we're seeing Kyle Shanahan trust his quarterback more. He he certainly doesn't trust him as much as, say, he trusted MVP Matt Ryan when he was in Atlanta with Julio Jones and all those other weapons where they went to the Super Bowl and, and of course, choked that 28-3 to lead. But I think uh. it's <laughs> – exactly. It's a little bit of both there, but I do agree with you that the natural follow-up is – okay, like if you need to focus on all aspects of the team, you know, maybe hire someone else to to be looking after the defense and, and tell you what's going on and, and focus solely on the offense so you can get the offense up to where you want it to be. Um, but it, it's probably not as simple as that. I'm sure it isn't. And, and nothing, if we're being honest, ever is with Kyle Shanahan. <laughs> but, but one of those factors that plays into that is, like you mentioned, the defense. He has... He has an all-world defense at his disposal. I can't fault him for wanting to use it much in the way maybe he wants to use, uh, you know, a pass-heavy offense like he did in Atlanta. Like, if that's your strength, that's what you lean on. And a big part of that has been Nick Bosa, who was recently named Defensive Player of the Month for the San Francisco 49ers. And, and right now, Mark, honestly, it. Like I, I know we've talked about how Bosa is, is playing, you know, perhaps his be, his best foot, football, and and should be continuing uh, along those lines. He's got eleven and a half sacks. I think wildly, uh, his his player prop for the year, I think, was eleven and a half. So if he gets another half sack or more, he is going to exceed that total. Uh, probably is going to do it on Sunday, honestly, but. To me, it's like it's him and Micah Parsons. Like those are the only two defenders that I think of when the DPOY conversation comes into in, in, into the room. Like Nick Bosa is playing at such a, a high level of football, and really the fact that he plays on a number one defense, I'm sure some people would argue that he may, he is the catalyst for that. But then we've also talked about how the 49ers have been so good because of their multi, you know, the, the levels to this of Fred Warner, of guys on the back end of the secondary being quality. Um, that's really the only thing giving me pause or, or kind of like, maybe I got to flip a coin between a Parsons and a Bose at this point when I'm thinking about defensive player of the year. 
I think uh, Parsons and Bosa are, are top two. I think there's probably one other that needs to be considered. It's Matthew Judon uh, for New England. Uh, Some people been... also like Max Crosby. I know. I, I, I mean, Max Crosby has been incredible, but unfortunately with the team he's on, he's, he's not going to get any real chance to win that award. It's, it's just the way that those awards go. Uh, New England probably is kind of teetering on the edge of being good enough to be considered for that sort of thing, unless – you know, that player just has a record-breaking year. Matthew Judon has been incredible, but, but you know, not not record-breaking. Um, I think Parsons probably is is the favorite at this point, um, but Nick Bosa is right there and I think should be a, a clear number two. Um, and, and we'll see what the rest of the season, you know, has in store. Uh, but I'm, Bosa has been phenomenal. And, you know, there, there's no no surprise that, you know, the, the top two teams uh, players you know in in you know odds to win the nfl defensive player of the year lead probably the top two defenses i mean that's a gigantic reason why but when you have a player like that like bosa and parsons it, you know so much of the opposing offense is just focused on limiting those guys that it opens up so much else for the rest of the defense and that's why you have guys like charles omenahue who who was also on twitter talking back to, to raheem mostert earlier Who's, who's having career seasons. Um, you, you have uh, Eric Armstead, who's likely back this week. We'll talk about that in a little bit, who can miss months, and the defense still plays phenomenal because that's how good Nick Bosa is, and it's similar for Micah Parsons in Dallas. So I agree with you. Nick Bosa right up there, fantastic that he won November Defensive Player of the Month, certainly deserving and uh, we'll see if he has a defensive player of the year in store for us here. He'll need to have a fantastic end to the season because Micah Parsons is as good as anyone else in the league, but, but both are certainly deserving of some kudos as well. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is the 415ers podcast coming at you three times a week on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game. Uh, you can follow us on social at 415ers. You can follow me on social at eGettings10. Follow Mark on social at Mark Randy. Mark with a C, Randy with an I. Well, Mark, you kind of led into the next part, which is for this game, we're looking at maybe something that the Niners haven't had to concern themselves with over the past few weeks, but it is injuries. Now, they will get, hopefully, Eric Armstead back this weekend. As we've discussed over previous episodes, that is a huge boost to the running game, although maybe doesn't factor as much against a more pass-heavy uh, Miami group. They do like to run the football, but it's, of course, pass-first, uh, second-best passing attack in the NFL. But something that, that kind of caught my eye, I mean, we are talking about how Christian McCaffrey's knee irritation against New Orleans 
might have carried in the into this week. He was a he was a practice participant on Wednesday, uh, who was not noticed on the practice field was Debo Samuel, which was kind of a, a flip-flop. Like I, I felt like coming out of the Saints game, Debo was more uh, healthy, even though he had the quad contusion left, came back. McCaffrey did the same with the knee irritation. Uh, but were you at all surprised to see Debo Samuel not on the practice field in the middle of the week? And do, do you expect him to kind of fight through that and be out there on Sunday? I was a little surprised not to see him at all. I was expecting, you know, maybe a, a limited practice. I, I do also think we're getting to the point of the season and this is also, I think, kind of what I alluded to earlier in the week about McCaffrey, where you might see some load management from your stars, um, specifically for the 49ers and, you know, players who are going to be running the ball. Because without Elijah Mitchell now for likely the rest of the regular season, it's, it's not a uh, not a sure thing. He will miss at least four games because he, at, he is back on IR again. But the timeline for the injury is six to eight weeks. And we're what now in week 13. So we're, we're getting pretty you know, close towards the end of the regular season. Um, I I think we will see some load management, not necessarily in game always, but just from a practice standpoint, trying to keep your stars as fresh as possible. Um, I think it's a little concerning that Debo Samuel didn't practice at all. However, I'm still confident that he's going to play. And, And what this means to me, maybe more than anything else, is the Niners are planning on using Debo Samuel in the backfield more than they have the entire year. With Elijah Mitchell out, uh, of course, we've heard a lot about, you know, Tyrion Davis-Price, TDP, along with Jordan Mason. Mason looked pretty good, you know, in in mop-up role towards the end of that Saints game last week. But you still have Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel, two very quality runners of the football that you can give the ball off to. And I think along with Christian McCaffrey's knee irritation, which he did come out and say to the media in the locker room uh, on Thursday, I'm playing, don't worry about it. I dodged a bullet with my knee irritation. It's not as bad as it could have been, but I'm going to play against the Dolphins. That's good news. But even still with that, I think we won't see Shanahan give McCaffrey 20 carries. I think it probably means an uptick for touches for Debo Samuel, and maybe that's why he's getting fewer practice reps this week because Shanahan knows He's going to ask him to do more actually in the game on Sunday. No, that that is a good point. And I do think also where the conversation we had earlier about who's which which team this game is more important to uh, Shanahan could be tipping his hand a bit with how he's handling these guys. Uh, the amount of touches they get, the amount of yeah. snaps they get when it comes to McCaffrey, along with Debo, especially because, look, obviously you'd love to win every single game. But you're back in first place in the division. That is the goal right now. You want to have a home playoff game. You want to make sure, most importantly, you have all of your pieces healthy for a potential home playoff game. So that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, on the Dolphins' side, really, really, the only thing that stood out to me, Mark, was uh, Taron Armstead. Speaking of Armsteads, <laughs> uh, their left tackle not practicing earlier this week, not on Wednesday. And, of course, that's a position that... Uh, Nick Bosa, I'm sure, is very uh, interested in who's he, who he's going to be facing against this week. Their backup is Brandon Shell, Greg Little, third stringer. I know Austin Jackson on that side, as well as Robert Jones, um, we're, we're dealing with some injuries as well. But Taron Armstead, someone to keep an eye on. Right now, he's currently listed as doubtful for Sunday. So that could be also an area where the 49ers have an advantage up front 
trying to get some pressure on Tua, who I'm sure is going to want to get the ball out quick to his options on the outside and Tyreek Hill, uh, as well as Jalen Waddle. I, I think that for me right now, look, I, it, I don't, I don't believe the Dolphins offensive line has been incredible this year. Uh, Tua has been sacked a fair amount. Um, but that is, is something, I guess, probably the most impactful potential injury that Miami would be dealing with in my eyes. Yeah. Um, I mean, you mentioned Taron Armstead. You also brought up Austin Jackson. He did not practice as well on Thursday. So two offensive linemen, two starting offensive linemen that did not practice. That's something to keep an eye on. Interestingly enough, I know we talk about kind of keys to games every week, Evan. For me, I don't think it's necessarily about pressuring to a tag of Iloa, at least not in the sense as it, as it normally is. I don't think this is a game in which we'll see D'Amico Ryan's blitz to all that often, because, you know, we, we talked about, you know, earlier in the earlier segment uh, to attack of Iloa tends to throw the ball to that intermediate middle third of the field. What that also means is he gets it out quick. He's not, you know, waiting, you know, dropping back seven, you know, seven step drop and throwing the ball 30 yards down the field. It happens sometimes, but not all that often. The vast majority of Tua Tagovailoa's, you know, pass attempts get out of his hand really quickly. And the result is then that it kind of nullifies the pass rush because even if you're able to get pressure and specifically if you're bringing a blitz, it's almost what the Dolphins want because they know they're getting the ball out so quick that, you know, having pressure on a quarterback might not even matter that much unless you just have a free rusher, you know, off the edge that wasn't accounted for. And then maybe you can force an incompletion or, or if you're super quick and the defense does well, you know, in the middle of the field, the secondary, that is maybe you get a sack, but the dolphins almost invite pressure because it opens up so much more of the field. They already have it opened up because of their speed. And if Tua can get it out quick enough, which he's been elite at this year, then you suddenly have a gigantic advantage offensively beyond the line of scrimmage because the defense has so many bodies going after the quarterback. The ball is already out of the quarterback's hands. And guess what? Tyree Kill has blockers and has a great chance to get to the end zone on a simple cross 15 yards down the middle of the field. So interestingly enough, I don't think this is a game for Nick Bosa to rack up sacks. I think this is a game where you do not see many blitzes from the 49ers, and it comes down to can they cover the middle part of the field enough to make Tua Tagovailoa uncomfortable on those quick releases, then he holds on to the ball, the offense is out of rhythm, and you never know what happens after that, and that's when the singular greatness of Nick Bosa comes in. Can he win his one-on-one matchup? Can he beat a double team? Can Eric Armstead come through the middle and make Tua uncomfortable? I think that's where this game is won, not by blitzing, but by covering just long enough in the middle of the field to make Tua uncomfortable and see what happens after that. It's kind of a a weird situation because it kind of goes against most other weeks where you want to get to the quarterback and sack them. I don't think this is a week for that for the 49ers. I think the answer to the first two questions you had concerning Bosa are yes. Uh, I think the last question concerning Armstead will be dependent on how healthy he is uh, coming off his injury. We shall see, though, of course. Uh, I also do think, look, I, I I know it sounds crazy that you're going into a game with the Niners offense right now who's average, who's allowing about 15 points per game. 
or maybe 16. They're number one in the NFL. I expect Miami to put up points. Like I, I think they're going to score. Like that, that is not something. And if they don't, I will look at this Niners defense in the historic conversation that I think a lot of people have, in my opinion, prematurely put them in uh, with some of the defenses of of yesteryears. I, I expect Tua to put up points. I expect this Dolphins offense to score. My question is, can the 49ers maintain the pace? And can Jimmy Garoppolo, against not a great defense on the other side, passing defense, Miami Dolphins are number 22. They give up yards in the secondary, even with some formerly top-tier corners uh, on the outside, Xavier Howard being one of them. But I'm looking at Jimmy Garoppolo like like th- this is a game where I, I do think a lot of fans are looking at it and saying, is this going to be a here we go again with Jimmy G? You know, is this going to be a preview of a potential playoff matchup where we need a quarterback to sling the ball down the field? You know, maybe not deep, but like, but to be able to move the ball, to be able to throw, to be able to consecutively put together drives that complement the run with the pass and that are managed by Jimmy G in a way that is good enough to put up 24 to 28 points. To me, that's the range that this offense has to get to to be able to keep the pace with Miami. And that's what I am worried about more so than anything, Mark. So with that said, going into into predictions, um, to me, this is a game that is going to be very close. I do think the Niners will win. I do not think the Niners will cover, as maybe strange as that sounds to some people, the line is three and a half. The total is 46 and a half. I think the Niners win. It's going to be, I think, 27-24. The over hits at Levi's Stadium. But then again, these two teams have been very difficult to on, on both sides, both the Niners and the Dolphins have been very difficult to predict when it comes to covering. I think the Niners are six and five against the spread. The Dolphins are seven and four compared to their eight and three record. Uh, the under has hit the majority of the Niners times. And the under surprisingly hit a lot against the Miami Dolphins because they've jacked up that total a lot. But I see a Niners win on Sunday, 27-24 against the Dolphins. I'll get to my uh, pick in a second. Before I do, I do have a a stat to read off. So this is the fourth meeting in NFL history between a team that has scored at least 30 points in their past four games and a team that has allowed 16 or fewer points in their past four games. So essentially a, a clash of the Titans, a fantastic offense against a fantastic defense. Both are playing kind of at their peak when they meet. The last time it happened, Niners were also involved in it, but they were the team that had scored 30 or more in four straight games. That was back in 2013 against the Carolina Panthers, the Luke Keekley-led Panthers, who had a fantastic defense. Oddly enough, that game ended 10-9 to in favor of Carolina. The other two times it happened, unders hit as well. In fact, the previous three times uh, a matchup like this has happened, defenses have tended to win the day. 80 points scored in total in the past three games where you have an offense and a defense like this for an average of about 26 and a half points in total per game in those games. All that said, 
I, I like the over in this game as well. I'm going, <laughs> I'm going against the trend. I mean, some of these games are in like, one of them is in the 40s. Another one's hey, in the we 70s. we zig when they zag, Mark. Exactly. Come on. I'm going against the trend. I like the over. I like the Niners, but they don't cover. I'm going even higher than you. In fact, I think this is a barn burner. I think both offenses put up points. I think we see Kyle Shanahan try his best to show out for his protege, trying to put him in his place a little bit. Niners 31. Dolphins 30. They squeak it out in the final minutes. Niners win by a point. Well, I hope that that's the case because that means it'll be a very entertaining afternoon slate of football for 49ers fans. And whether it's low scoring, whether it's high scoring, I think it is going to be a very interesting matchup and one that I, I do believe no matter what happens, it could be a blowout in favor of Miami. It could be a blowout in favor of San Francisco. We are going to be referencing this game come week one of the playoffs, no matter what happens. Because again, this is going to be, in in, I think our opinions, the greatest test for the 49ers in the regular season. Yeah, and hey, you don't want to get too ahead of yourselves. But all I'm saying is there's there's a non-zero chance that this is a Super Bowl preview. It's possible. It's possible. Hey, Kevin Garnett, anything (laughs) Anything is is possible. possible. (laughs) That's true. Hey, I wouldn't be mad at that. That means the 49ers will be playing in the Super Bowl. Uh, But of course, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. For now, all we want to do is thank you for tuning in to the 415ers podcast. We'll be coming at you with hopefully an electric episode, a reaction episode, hopefully a victory reaction episode on Monday for the 49ers. They take on the Dolphins, a 105 kick from Levi's Stadium. Five wins in a row for Miami, four wins in a row for the Niners, eight and three for the Dolphins, seven and four for the 49ers. Uh, It should be a fun matchup that I am looking forward to, Mark, and I'm sure you are as well. Me too, Evan. Should be a great week. We got USA World Cup on Saturday morning. We got football. all, And it's also uh, College Football Championship Saturday, by the way. That's going to be great. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then we got, uh, you know, of course, football on Friday capped off in the afternoon by a a great Niners-Dolphins matchup. So a great weekend of sports. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, at least we don't have to look forward to Mark uh, gloating about an Oregon win this weekend. Hey, Eric Armstead is back. That's all I need. That's an Oregon win right there, folks. (laughs) And in the meantime, we will talk to you on Monday. Thank you so much for tuning into the 415ers podcast. We appreciate you. We'll talk to you next time.